Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a little German proverb that's worth noting. Es ist kein Pfafflein so klein, es steckt ein Papstlein drein. What it means is this. In the lowest of clerics, there lurks a little pope. Every pastor struggling with his old sinful Adam is a wannabe. There's always the temptation to become a little pope, a little tyrant. He's in control in his little corner of this kingdom, no matter how tiny that corner might be. Just as the politician dreams of being president, so the priest or pastor dreams of being pope or senate or seminary president. The office of pastor, which is none other than the preaching of the freedom which we have received through Jesus' blood and merit, devolves into a worldly rank. The pastor then becomes part of an elite group of super-special Christians. He becomes an expert. We all know how tyrannical the experts can be. The Pharisees were good at using their office to tyrannize the faithful. They sat in the seat of Moses. They were teachers of Israel. But they did not teach God's word. They didn't know God's word. They were spiritually blind. And even the best ones were ignorant of spiritual things. And in this case, Nicodemus ought to come to mind. Later in this gospel, Jesus is astounded at Nicodemus' ignorance. Jesus exclaims in John chapter 3, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? The Pharisees were fleshly and they were worldly. Because flesh gives birth to flesh. That's why they eclipsed God's word with man-made rules and regulations. And they flaunted their extraordinary acts of piety so that they might receive the fawning praise of the unwashed masses, those who did not know the law. They had fleshly interpretations of God's word. Their goal was always for this world. They wanted the praise of rich widows. They wanted the bowing and the scraping of the commoner. They wanted the fine dinners, and they wanted the fancy titles. They loved to be called rabbi. So when John arises in the wilderness and begins to preach a powerful message of repentance, they take notice. And when John does something novel, like instituting his baptism, a washing for repentance, they are compelled to check it out. And so they find they send a fact-finding committee. In many ways, the Pharisees are like dogs. Not only are dogs ritually unclean and condemned in the scriptures, but dogs are also highly territorial. The Pharisees, like dogs, come to sniff John out because they want to mark their territory. The question is this, is John another beta dog who will be forced to tow the synodical line with his tail between his legs? Or is John an alpha? Is John the Christ? Is John the prophet? 
If so, then the Pharisees will gladly follow the new pack leader. But John defies all expectations. He doesn't mark his territory. He doesn't measure his authority against that of the Pharisees or the scribes. John doesn't even appeal to his office, even though he would have been justified in doing so. Instead, the Gospel lesson tells us that John confessed. He did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. John answers all of their questions very tersely and unequivocally with no. This delegation is visibly distressed and confused and frustrated by John. He doesn't play the game. He doesn't tote out his heavenly credentials. He doesn't put himself out there as an expert on spiritual matters. John doesn't even claim his lineage as a priest as a justification for why he does what he does. And so this delegation, at the end of their rope, cries out, Who are you? that we may give an answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? And that question, what do you say about yourself, is the perennial temptation for every Christian. It is a great temptation for us to rely on who we think we are, what our strengths are, what our connection to the community is, and what kind of letters we have behind our names. When we lack those things, we are told by the experts that we lack legitimacy. Who do you think you are? How dare you question the experts? Where's your PhD? Besides, that's just your interpretation. And this question doesn't just come from the world, but it comes from Senate, district presidents, voters' assemblies, and even our common, everyday Christian neighbors. The problem is that we buy into this. We keep our mouths shut because we don't know enough. And we are tempted. What right do I have to speak God's word anyway? What happens if my neighbor asks a question and I don't know the answer? I'm no teacher. How could I possibly hand down the Christian faith to my children? Besides, we pay the professionals to do that kind of stuff anyway, like the pastor and the parochial teachers. Let them teach the kids in school. Let them run the evangelism programs. But don't you see what that does to us? That puts us right into the mindset of the Pharisees and scribes. This mindset is not the freedom which the gospel gives to us. It is a new kind of slavery, slavery to spiritual experts. This mindset is a self-slavery, where we try to measure up, but yet we always fall short. But look at how John answers them after they ask this tempting question, what do you say about yourself? He says... I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. It's almost as if John is saying, what do I say about myself? I'm nothing. 
I'm a voice, a mere sound. And you don't get any less insubstantial than being a mere sound. But let me tell you what's really important. The Lord is coming. The Messiah, long promised to our fathers, is almost here. I'm here to prepare his way. He comes to save us. He comes to forgive us. He is the content. My whole existence testifies to him and sounds him out alone. Who am I? I'm a sound. But what matters is him and him alone. But that's not what the Pharisees want. They can't handle this gospel reply. They can't stand freedom. And so, those who are willing to receive John as the Christ now violently censure and condemn him, especially they condemn him for his baptism. Well, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? It's like they're saying, you're saying that you're nothing but a sound. If you're nothing, well, then you better get in line. We are your superiors. We sit in Moses' seat. We know Moses' law. Your novel washing with water, called baptism, is criminal. No one has given you the authority to introduce baptism. So get back in line. You're not to act without our command. You're not to act without our knowledge. You're not to act without our permission. John's answer, once again, does not point to his own authority. We know from Scripture that John's baptism was from heaven. We know from Scripture that John's baptism did forgive sins. And yet, John does not point to the origin or to the power of his baptism. He instead points to the content of that baptism. He points to the coming Christ. I baptize with water. There stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. It's almost as if John is saying here, Sure, I have no authority from you to baptize. I have no authority in myself. Once again, I am nothing, a mere voice. But Christ is here now. He is standing among us. Everything is about to change. The law and the prophets prophesied about him, and they are now passing away. He, the Lord and Savior of both Jew and Gentile, is here. And according to his manhood, he is younger than I am. But he is no mere man. He is the eternal God. And I am not even worthy to be his lowest slave. This one is here now. And if you knew him, you would, if you believed him, then you wouldn't be playing these games of legitimacy but you would gladly be baptized by me, a mere voice. We often play these games of legitimacy just like the Pharisees did. We judge ourselves and we judge others by our ranks, by our wealth, by our wisdom, or by our athletic prowess. But all this is simply self-justification. 
And self-justification is a great and heavy burden, which no one can bear without becoming both a tyrant and a slave. The gospel, the good news that the one is standing here, right now, frees us from self-justification. The gospel is enough. Indeed, the gospel is the only thing which actually carries any weight. If we have the gospel, we have everything. You can be an insubstantial voice, you can be a seven-year-old child, and you can still, by the power of this gospel, defy all of the world's wealthy and powerful people. And even the devil himself, the god of this age and the ruler of this world, will flee from you when you have the gospel, God's word. You can do all these things because it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. It is the gospel which changed the hearts of John's hearers. It was the gospel which forgave their sins in his baptism for the remission of sins. By himself, John was nothing. It was the gospel which John sounded. That was what accomplished everything. And you have the same gospel which John had. You have this gospel on your forehead in baptism. You have this gospel in your mouth in the Lord's Supper. You have the gospel in your hands and in your ears with your Bible. But even more importantly, you have this gospel in your heart and on your lips when you learn God's word and repeat it. And it doesn't matter if God's word is hard to memorize do it anyway, because it's for your good. Take the verses printed in our bulletins each Sunday. Learn them. Memorize them. And then by God's grace, you will be able to use this gospel for the glory of God and to the, and to the salvation of those people to whom you speak to day after day. You, like John, are nothing. You are a voice. A sound which comes and goes. And rejoice and be glad that you are simply a voice. For if that voice, if that sound is filled with the gospel, then hearts will be changed. Mountains will be brought low. Valleys will be filled. Rough places will be made plain. And sinners shall receive eternal life. For Christ the one who stands among us in his word stands behind his word, and that word shall never, ever be broken. Don't be misled by soul-killing tyrants who masquerade as spiritual experts. You are free because you have the gospel. You have the good news, and no one can take that away from you. Jesus stands among us, and he stands near to you today. Many today do not know him. They don't want to believe him. But the gospel still has free course. It is preached, and people are saved from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. May God, the Holy Spirit, strengthen our faith through his gospel, so that we, like John, may quietly 
and confidently point to and trust only in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.